We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We've got down to verse 6. It says, you also, speaking of the Thessalonians, Thessalonica from the church there, he said that you were imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word with much tribulation and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This was the most remarkable of Paul's churches. Some say it was the best one. He had less trouble with them than, say, Corinth or some of the other ones. But they immediately received repentant, turned to the Lord, turned from their idols, and they began spreading what they knew of the gospel. And we will find that Paul was, and his workers were driven out of the area by the Jews. As we've said, they had a large Jewish community. The Thessalonians mainly were Greeks, okay, and most of the church was. So he said, you have followed our example and continued in faith and tribulation, bearing Christ's reproach. Most of the trouble came from the Jews, and they still were sending Judaizers and Jews to stir up trouble wherever Paul went. They really had a spirit that wanted to antagonize him. Some people think that Paul's stake in the flesh was not some disease or eye disease. It may have been, but it seems like he had an excessive amount of persecution from the Jews, and they followed him everywhere. He had more trouble than the apostles did that were staying in Jerusalem. That may have been, he called it a special a special messenger to keep him humble, but he said it was from the devil. So it may have been part of the stake in the flesh that he had to bear continually, and God had to give him grace and deliver him at various times. So they were still a stiff-necked people, as Stephen called them, and they were still fighting God's will. Now the Lord, the Holy Spirit, gave them peace and righteousness and joy. And what does the Bible tell us? Paul tells us the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. He just said it wasn't eating and drinking or washings or ceremonies like that. He said that if they were in Christ, that was the main foundation. They would have peace with God because their sins were removed and they had Christ in them. They were to be righteous, practical righteousness and holiness. Well, that that discounts most professing Christians uh, to show you they're not in Christ. And joy, they were to have a joy for the hope of eternal life, and the Lord could give them joy even in the midst of the sorrow in the world. Jesus told his disciples, in the world you'll have tribulation, you'll have troubles, but he said, I'll give you peace. And so that was part of his experience and giving them the first fruits was Christ in them. And so he said, that's the kingdom. Everything outward doesn't mean nothing if they didn't have the inward. And so the Christian, we will find, as it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. The Gentiles that came to the Lord, they weren't put under, they were not under all the rules and regulations of the law. And even Peter said, our fathers couldn't bear it. It was so much. But before Christ, they didn't have Christ in them, so God kept them all occupied. He gave them things to do to keep them out of trouble. 
Some people believe that when Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden and the Lord said, by the sweat of your brow, you'll labor and make food. And when you're laboring, you're going to get thorns and thistles and bugs. And uh, he's going to fight these things and it's going to be a labor. And some people, and I thought it may be true, believe that God gave that to them when he cursed them. Ultimately, it was to help them because they would have not had the peace. They would have been restless. They would have had all kinds of mental problems because they'd fallen into sin and it began to affect them. So it may have been God was keeping them busy to keep them out of trouble. Like we say we do teenagers and stuff. You give them something to do. Proverbs speaks about being idle. It says people have said it's the devil's play tool. So God may have done this to them Actually, they thought it was a curse, but it may have helped them in the long run and kept them from going crazy because everything altered once they were driven out of the garden. They did not have that spiritual relationship that they had with the Lord, and he ministered to them to a degree, but he did not let them have the fullness of his presence and so forth, and he was showing them the consequences of the sin, and they're uh, disobeying him. So the kingdom of God is joy, peace, and righteousness. And he saw this and heard of this with the Thessalonians. They were just really doing good. So the Spirit, we remember, the Holy Spirit is called the Lord, the same as the Father and the Son are. And we see he proceeds from the Father and the Son, okay? People make too much of the Trinity, as if they're triplets, they're not. Uh, they may not be separate beings, as we know. So you got one extreme, we got three gods, we got the other extreme is Jesus only, and it's somewhere in between. And God does not seek to explain these things because maybe it's far beyond our comprehension in the body and mind we're in now. He just states certain things. And we may not be able to analyze it. He tells us certain things, and he tells us he made certain things, and did. The, he doesn't explain to us where he came from, what he did. These are beyond our comprehension, and they're none of our business if he does not seek to explain them. He's interested in spiritual things. People read the Bible to find fault. He didn't write the Bible as a scientific book on things. He just states certain things. He makes a very simple illustration, the scripture said, and when he was creating in that six days, as an afterthought, he throws in this little statement, and he made the stars also. And that's it. Well, the stars, look at their billions of galaxies that they didn't know nothing about. When they looked up at night in the sky, they could only see several thousand stars. They wouldn't have known that the Milky Way was stars. They thought it was a cloud. And yet it's interesting, we know that in our galaxy alone, there's several billions of stars. Well, does the scripture still apply? The scripture says he knows them by name. Well, does he know just the 10,000 that the people saw, or does he know the trillions? So that's an interesting thought, but we see how much more is out there. Well, they didn't know all of this. He didn't seek to tell them all of this. He was interested once the fall came into being, the redemption of mankind and the plan of salvation, 
And today, as it gets more intellectual, he said they'll be ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. So many of these scientists become atheists because they can't conceive that there was a God. But they're so foolish that they can conceive that everything came from a puff of gases. But nobody ever tells you where the gases came from. So they really are hypocrites and didn't receive themselves. And they were made with a nature and a conscience, an inner law. And somewhere along the line, when they fight against it, then they become atheists because it's a spirit, a demon spirit, lying to them. But no man was ever made an atheist. He became one because he resisted his conscience, the spirit of truth, and that's the consequences. You reject God's spirit, then you open yourself up to evil spirits, and sometimes God sends them. He said, if they don't want the truth, he sends them a lying spirit. And so we need to understand that certain things he doesn't seek to explain. He's not going to answer things. He's interested in man's righteousness, man serving God, the probation here, our pilgrimage, our warfare. We're being tested to be able to enter heaven and never have to be tested again, and people can go to heaven or hell. He's not interested in all the scientific. He made them all. He sustains them all. Paul said we live our existence as in God. So there is no place he is not. But he don't write a book of science for people. He's not interested in that. Okay? And so we see then the Holy Spirit is the Lord, proceeds from the Father and the Son. So we do not deal with triplets. We do not deal with Jesus only. If it was Jesus only, God's talking to himself. Uh, we know what that means. If he's only talking to himself, it's beyond our comprehension. And Jesus, as a man, we can separate him from the Father. He was a unique human. And when he was born, God withdrew the use of his divinity. It said he emptied himself. So he did not have the glory of the Godhead while he was on earth. Everything he did, he did as a man submitting to the Holy Spirit. That's why he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then when he died, before he died, he prayed and said, Restore to me the glory which I had with you before the world was. Well, what was that? The full use of Godhead. He was one with the God in the beginning. He was the creator with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So that's what he had laid aside. Philippians said he laid aside, he emptied himself. And that was part of the temptation was the devil wanted to use his divinity instead of trusting the Lord to take care of him. When he said, make these stones bread, well, he'd gone 40 days without eating and he was starting to starve. So it wasn't just an appetite. He really was a temptation. And he could have spoke to those rocks and done it, but it would have been disobedience to the Father as a servant, as a prophet, as a man. So he did not do it. But it was a real temptation to know you figure you're starving to death and you can just speak to something and there's food. And the other interesting thought is once his temptation was over, he didn't use his divinity to make bread. It said the angels came and ministered to him. What did they minister? They fed him like they did Elijah. He was still confined to the human body.
and he could not, apart from disobedience, use divinity. But now he's back in the full Godhead, and he's humanly resurrected. He still has his humanity, okay? So when Jesus ascended to the Father, he gives us the full measure of who he is. And so that's why he is as Christ to us. And who is he? Christ is the divine nature, God. And, and see, he told us, the Bible said, we're partakers of the divine nature. And Jesus said that he would do this. Uh, I will get to another scripture later that I use often. But he said, I and the Father are one. He claimed to be one with the Father, not like him. And when he spoke, and Philip says, show us the Father. And he said, how long have I been with you? Every word and ministry that Jesus did, it was the Father in him. It was the Holy Spirit. And he willingly and with his human will yielded to it. He said, I don't do nothing that I don't see the Father do. See, he was given to do that. And so when they wanted to see the Father, he says, this is me. This is as much as you're going to see of me and humanity. They were thinking of what Moses saw on the mountain and all that. He was showing them who he was in human condescensions that uh, he could communicate with them. And so we see he claimed that several times. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And he was there in the beginning. He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven in a split second. He said, like lightning. Well, he threw him out. He has the, as the divine God, with the God in, once the testing was over and the angels failed and sinned, they were cast down instantly. Okay? But it was a process. He waited and seen how they would respond to these various things, okay? So every word and miracle that Jesus spoke, he said, it's the Father and me. But he spoke as a man, as a righteous man, as a prophet. He was going to become the Savior. He was a teacher. And then he was going to be a sacrifice. So he did all of this yielding as a man without sin. And that's what made him the perfect sacrifice. Now let's go real quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, a very quick pointed statement. What does it say here? Now the Lord is the Spirit. What Lord? The Lord Jesus Christ is the Spirit. What Spirit? The Holy Spirit. He said he is the Spirit, okay? And where the Spirit of Lord is, there is liberty. See, he sets his own free. They're not under bondage. They're not used and controlled by their wicked nature and the devil. So he says they have liberty, freedom in Christ. Okay? So he is God, Spirit. And we see not only was he the Father, in a sense, too, because he'll tell us that. Now the Lord Jesus Christ is the Spirit, and there's liberty. But Jesus also, Isaiah said, when he came, he would be the eternal Father. He would be the Prince of Peace. He would be the Almighty God. Well, that's Jesus we're talking about. So again, the divine Godhead, he's one with them now. And we see he had his purposes to take on the human nature. 
he lowered himself. And since he was lower than the angels, that he could live the life of a human. He said he was made a little lower. Why a little lower? Because he never sinned. He did not have original sin, but he was tempted. From a human standpoint, he could have yielded to temptation, or God is mocking us. He's not playing a game of mockery. The devil wouldn't even have done it if he thought he couldn't have got him to fail. But he did not fail, and God tells us these things ahead of time. Some of these things he told us. So he told the disciples, I've said many times, I am with you. He was limited to a human body, lower than the angels. Yet he said, I will be in you. Well, he could only do this as Christ, as God, as part of the Godhead. And that's what was different. And that's why he said, if John the Baptist, he was the greatest of prophets and the most righteous of them, he said, a person that's entered the kingdom, born again, and Christ is in them, they're greater than him because they did not have the spirit indwelling them like we do. We have Christ in us, the hope. They did not have that. Oh, they had certain limited things God did with them. But so he's saying the greatest of the Old Testament, the least of a real Christian has better potential. And we can pray in a way, and we go into the Holy of Holies through prayer, and God accepts it as if we were going into the tabernacle at Moses' time. And only the high priest could go there once a year after Moses established these things by God's will. But the Christian, Hebrew says, we can enter the throne of grace and obtain mercy in time of need. So there's certain advantages. Of course, people don't use them. And there are many people in the Old Testament are much more righteous than many Christians. It's going to shame them at the judgment seat of Christ when they find out all the things and many things they did were worthless spiritually. And I guess some of the ones of the Old Testament are going to marvel at us that we had these privileges and did not use them. So God's going to evaluate all of these things one day. Okay. So if we only, he could dwell in us, he's the divine nature, that's Christ in us. He is the word of God now. He's very God. Interesting in Revelations, it speaks of the throne of God. It doesn't say thrones of the Father and Son. It speaks singular, okay? And he still does certain things in his humanity. He will come back as a king. He will come back as Lord. He's acting as high priest, as the mediator now, the man, Jesus Christ. That's part of what he, so he's got, he intercedes for us from the God's standpoint and from a man's standpoint. He fulfills God's purposes in everything. And then he said and prayed to the Father, restore to me the glory which I had with you before the world was. What was that glory? God's head, full use. And he willingly, as far as we understand, in the counsels of God, he came. He was sent by the Father and he accepted the mission. And we can only comprehend a little bit. We're not told all of these mysteries, okay? So when he ascends to the Father, he ascended bodily. Now, many people say they've seen the Lord. Well, apostles and prophets have. 
but they've not seen him in his body. They've had him a vision. Even Paul will see. He claimed it was a vision. He didn't claim he's seen a lot of misguided people say, well, he made a special appearance to Paul because he was a replacement for Judas. That's a bunch of nonsense. Paul could not be the replacement. He was not of the foundation. He was not of the original. And they said, well, Peter chose him before they were filled, and God honored it. His scripture already said replacing. And as soon as they replaced him with another person that had been there the whole time, then the Holy Spirit came. He was waiting for these things to be done properly. God has no problem straightening people out if they're wrong, okay? And so we see then that when he appears, God is everywhere. The fullness of God was in Christ bodily. And he's wherever God is, he's there in fullness. So it's the same as if his physical body actually is better. He told them, it'll be better if I go away. Because I'm with you, but I shall be in you continually. He wasn't that way when he was Jesus in the flesh. Okay? He was limited to the human body. So we're saying no one after the ascension has seen Jesus bodily. And they won't. And the angel tells us this. Go to Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Now, when he had spoken these things, he was given instructions to the apostles and the disciples at the Mount of Olives. He said, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were looking steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men in white apparel, these were angels. They said, men of Galilee, Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go. So if anybody claims they've seen him bodily, you have no scripture for it. You cannot prove that. He is the divine God. He's not only indwells Christ uh, as the mediator, he indwells the universe. There's no distinction with him. Gabriel, when he struck Zechariah with dumbness for not believing, he said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. He didn't say, I came from God. Wherever angels are, they have the full measure of God. They don't go and see him. Oh, I got to go back to heaven and look at him on a throne. They have this. They said, we'll be like angels. And he said, they always, angels always behold the face of the Father. Don't matter where they're at. It means the full manifestation of what God made them for. So they have his presence consistently, wherever they are. And we will be the same way. Jesus said we'll be like angels. We will see him and know him as we are known. So whatever God makes that for and gives us a new body and spirit and everything, we're going to know what we're supposed to know, what God made us for, and we'll be content with that, okay? People look at heaven as all kinds of objects. When it says it's like this and it's like that, well, the streets of Jerusalem were made of gold. Maybe it's literal, maybe it's not. That's the most valuable thing to humans was gold, and it represented the purity of God. And yet in heaven, we're going to walk on it. It means it's going to be the least important. 
So people, I want to see this person and I want to, you may not even care. You're going to be so tied up with your intimacy with God, you may not even be interested in anything else. See, it says that we'll forget the former life. So those things will not even come into remembrance. See? So he's still dealing with us at a lower level. So John describes things like this and like that. He couldn't tell him the full measure. He couldn't even comprehend it. So no man could see the Father, God, and live. We're not made for it yet, but we will be. And we will see him face to face, and we will know him in fellowship and intimacy as he knows us. Well, that's saying a lot, isn't it? Okay. So he will not and has not ever come back in his body until the second coming. His body, his humanity, is now up in heaven. And he acts as mediator through his humanity to the Father. Uh Sometimes we say it just to make people understand it more. A lot of people say we have two intercessors, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Well, actually, he's both of them. And Hebrews says there's only one mediator. He didn't say there were two. Because he is that spirit. He is divinely God. And they work together in a way we don't understand. They don't do anything apart from each other. So it's not like, again, we got triplets up there debating things. Uh Uh-uh. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Spirit. Okay? And we're not explained anything else about it. So he will come back at the second coming. What will he do? He will lay down the office of the mediator for mankind, for the church on earth. The role is over. Says he will come and he won't bring salvation. He's not interceding. He's going to come as a king and a judge. And one of the first things he's going to do is destroy the wicked. He's not coming to save them. It's too late. Once God's patience runs out, it's too late to repent. The people at Noah's time, once God shut the door of the ark, it wasn't Noah that shut the door, it was God. It meant he closed the door of grace. They couldn't come in. Noah couldn't let him in if he wanted to because it was God's decision. And the five foolish virgins were once Christians and served him, and they slept which implies sin and falling away, but they they were called virgin. And when they went knocking and let us in, let us in, the master said, I I don't know you. Well, now the masters of Christianity are not saved. He said, I never knew you. But the five foolish virgins, he knew. He didn't say, I never knew you. He said, I don't know you. See, they lost what they had. And even Jesus said, when he tells the seven churches, he's speaking to Christians and speaking that they must overcome to the end of their life. didn't say they've overcome permanently now. John means you're overcoming if you're following the Lord. He didn't say you've overcome to the end of your life. You have to do that. And he said, and he that overcomes, I will not blot his name out of the books of life. Well, they were put in it when they came to the Lord. But he said, I won't blot them out. But if they don't overcome, he'll blot them out of his book. Okay? Sometimes we have to use common sense. Some things are very plain. We don't need to read anything else to it. 
Now back to the epistles. We'll go to seven. He said, but you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Arcadia. He was very impressed with them. And all the other churches started hearing about them, and they were impressed. These people, Paul was driven out, and he was, he'd be gone about 10 months or so, and he was getting reports, and he was just glorying how they were doing. He didn't have a lot of trouble like he did with Corinth and Galatia. He had a lot of trouble with some of those people. So he said, you've done well. He was glorying in this, and he was uh, praising them for this. He said, you're an example to be followed. And this was a young church. So it appears of all the churches Paul ministered to and established, Thessalonians and Thessalonica was the purest and less troubled. I guess he wished all of his churches were that way, but they were not, okay? Verse 8, okay, said, And the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, Macedonia and from Arcadia, but in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. When you heard the true gospel, you repented and confessed, and you turned away from your idols and turned to serve the Lord. I mean, that's nowadays people don't talk of repentance because they're preaching a false gospel. The first message from Jesus when he came down for them being tempted by the devil was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I hear some Calvinistic people say, well, Paul didn't preach that he was a false apostle. Because if you read in Acts, the message Jesus gave Paul, he said, you preach repentance or remission of sins. He didn't say much about believing. That comes easy. See, believing's the afterthought. So nowadays, people just confess Jesus. Well, the devils believe he's the Lord. They don't serve him, and they're terrorized of him. But they believe mentally who he is. So many people think they're Christians. Well, just receive the gift. They don't talk nothing about sin. Well, it's because they preach a false gospel. Repentance means when you hear the message, you turn away. You make a conscious decision. I'm not going to follow my old life. I'm the master's now. I'm a love slave. I'm his. He owns me. He don't save me so I can enjoy myself and sin all I want, like some of the ultra-Calvinistic people. They think they have a license to sin. They're going to be horrified when they're in a lake of fire because they're not going to understand it until the day of judgment because the Scripture says the wicked will never understand. He'll give them over the lying spirits. I've heard people tell me, well, I hope I get the right and left hand of Christ. I thought, you won't even get the right and left hand of the devil. See, they're self-righteous. They, they, they think like the ones he cursed, didn't I do this and didn't I do that? And, and he just said, you're workers of lawlessness. See, you didn't have the law of Christ. You didn't obey God. He was interested in their ministries and work. And he said, depart from me, you cursed of my father into everlasting punishment. Now, these are confessing Christians that believe they're Christians. They're going to be highly surprised. That's what deception does to people when they don't take reproof and instructions from God's word and his spirit. Okay. So and even now, it's been less than a year, about 10 months. The word is sounded forth, he said, from you. We've heard it. And you are hearers and doers. 
James would be impressed with them. James 1.22. Yeah, people always think James and Paul were opposing each other. You can't find that scripturally. You only find heretic and false teachers teaching that. We see that Paul went and submitted to the elders, and he said, not that they knew more than me. He said, lest I run in vain. They could have spoken against him, and nobody in the Christian world would listen to Paul. Uh-huh. And the Spirit of Christ said, you go up and submit. And they recognized his apostleship. And James had the last word on it. And he said, yeah, you go to the Gentiles. Uh-huh. And later on, when Paul is speaking of who he appeared to and who he visited, he said, I didn't do this and that. He said, but I appeared. And he says, and he referred to James as being an apostle. He's the only one that comes right out and implies he's an apostle. And yet he was the half-brother. He was not of the 12. Between Christ's death and resurrection, he wasn't a believer. But we see him up at Pentecost being filled with the Spirit. Why? Because the 10 days that the Lord, before he ascended to heaven, he appeared to many of his disciples, and he appeared to James. James tells us. And he called James then. But he was not one of the 12. He would have been one of people had their way. Some of them wouldn't like him at all. But anyway, they were in perfect harmony. They just expressed things differently. Like I said, the epistle of John, you read it. It'll tell you eight ways to prove, evaluate yourself to see whether you're a real Christian. And he doesn't mention grace or faith. Isn't that interesting? But when you read what he says, that's the outcome of a person that has true grace and faith. So he goes along with James. He's not big into theology. He wants to explain that this proves that you got this. And that's simply what James was saying. You can talk all you want, but if you don't have the fruit and the obedience, you ain't got the goods. He said, your faith is dead. He said it three times. And then at the end, he called them fools twice. He said, you foolish. He said, you foolish ones. Don't you know that faith without works is dead? And I love it because the next chapter, which people put there, he immediately says, not many of you should be teachers because they were teaching garbage. They were teaching like today, once saved, always saved. I have all grace and I can sin and I'm still saved and all this kind of nonsense. He says, you have no business being a teacher. And he says, what? For we, who the teacher, we shall receive the stricter judgment. So he's saying, if we're called, we're going to answer for more. So if you're teaching heresy, you're going to be in trouble. And you're going to get a greater punishment. Okay, so he's making it very plain for people. Chapter 1, verse 22 James, do you see that faith was working together with his works, Abraham, and by works, faith was made perfect? Now, they just don't like that. Calvinistic people hate this scripture right here, verse 24. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Well, the heretics say we're saved by faith only. That's from Luther. Well, it's false. You don't find it in Scripture. Now, when a person comes to the Lord, their past sins are forgiven, and then they're given faith, and then it's God doing it. But they still have to repent. But immediately, 
the apostle says, continue in the faith, for through much tribulation will enter the kingdom. But never in Ephesians or anywhere does it say we're saved by faith alone. Even Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I tell you? So what was the works? Obeying him. He said, you are my friends if you do what I tell you. So what is he saying? You're my enemy if you don't. See, people need to look at these things and stop listening to these false shepherds, convincing them of lies to give them false security so they can enjoy their pleasures and sins and go to heaven. Well, they're not going to. They're going to be very deceived. Okay, So they were sharing the works, words and deeds. They had them together. And as we say, he said the fruit works when we think of spiritual. We're not talking about pharisaical or Catholic or human. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, which is Christ in us. We are the branches. He gets no fruit without us. And we get no fruit without him. He said, without me, you can do nothing. But with me, you can do all things. See, it's Christ in us and working in us. And that's the works. That's the obedience. And Paul said several times, especially at times, be careful to maintain good works. He wasn't afraid of the word works. It's the heretics and false teachers that are afraid of it. Let's take a break here.